Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, Jesus. Let our heart be flooded with light, Father, to understand, to know what you desire us to know. <clears throat> of course you can, Jonathan. Jonathan has something to say. Oh, boy. That's a rare treat. There you go. Good morning, good morning. I just want to say that uh, God is definitely moving right now. I, uh, it's hard to see it sometimes because, you know, we get caught up in the daily routines and we get really tired and worn out. But, you know, I see he, that he's still there in my heart and I'm just, you know, still praising him and I feel him around me. But I don't see him sometimes. And, you know, it takes miracles happening to see that sometimes. And uh, yesterday, I want to just announce that my mom has given her back, her back uh, give her life back to God. And <laughs> that, that is definitely something that needs to happen. <laughs> so um, we all used to be saved when, when I was young, and mm-hmm. my whole family, there's six of us. And mm-hmm. so now um, it's me, my sister, and my mom, we're all saved, and we're Please just hoping not. for the three others. They look like they're coming this way, so <laughs> I believe God is moving, and I just want to give you all a praise report about that. So Amen. praise Amen. Jesus. Praise God. Awesome praise report. I was just reading that the other day that Jesus said there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one person repents. You know, and that really is a miracle. Because that's the greatest miracle. I mean, people, you could argue about what's the greatest miracle you know is it walking on water is it you know multiplying loaves and fish but the greatest miracle is when god recreates a person's spirit as a result of them asking jesus to be their lord no greater miracle no greater miracle amen so the title of today's message thank you for that again jonathan that was great awesome title of today's message is live in your place of rest live in your place of rest. A couple weeks back, we talked about find your place of rest, finding, and now it's live there. And so a place of rest, you know, we talked about, we said a place of rest is not a place that is without problems. A place of rest is not a place that is free from problems because rest is not the solution to the problem. I mean, I suppose it can be if that's what God deems it, but in that situation, but rest is uh, a recovery from the burden of the problems. So your place of rest is where you recover for, from that burden. And you know, I had said to you also that God had told the Israelites that when they were about to come into the promised land, they had, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they were about to step into the promised land, and God told them, I will show you a place for my name to be honored. Remember, Moses told them, he said, you're not going to worship any longer, just how you are. Right now, you're just doing whatever you want, but... but as soon as God chooses this place for his name to be honored, he said, then you will, you will celebrate there. You will bring your sacrifices there. You will go to meet with God there. He told them, you're going to get rid of all false worship out of the land. And you're going to worship God how he wants to be worshipped, how he said. And it was a place that, that, that life happened. Because they would go there to celebrate, too. It wasn't, they didn't just go there when they needed help from God. They went there for many reasons. 
to spend to be in God's place of rest. And God has said, God Moses didn't call it a place of rest. He he called the place it a place of rest for the people. But God later, you know, God had said when David wanted to build the temple, God said, "Where can you where can you build me a place of rest? My my hand has made all these things. I, I you know God does not dwell in in a house made with human hands." But it, but it was God's place of rest, he said. It's, a place, it's also a place where his name was to be honored. And uh, you remember I, I had said to you that the tabernacle, the physical symbol that God was with them, that the, ta- the tabernacle, was, God, it, he didn't do this for any other nation. He said, you're gonna, this is, he told Moses, here's a pattern for this tabernacle. This is the place you're going to come to offer sacrifices. This is the place where people are going to come to meet me. And that was mobile because they took it around with them for 40 years in the wilderness. A mobile resting place for God. And then when and then King David, like I said, wanted to build God a temple. God told him, your son will build it. You won't build it. Your son will build it. And so then Solomon built the temple. And that temple became, God, became then God's place of rest among his people. And that, that temple was stationary, immovable. The tabernacle was mobile. The temple was movable, was immovable, excuse me. Tabernacle was mobile. The temple could not be moved. And that tells me then that we are to have the qualities of both of those in our lives. It's just a matter of where you put them. We are to be mobile with the gospel. You know, Jesus said, told us in the book of Acts, in, in Acts 1, he said, you're to be my, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that means that he will move his people around where he sees fit. But So then, then you're mobile then. But then... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, in the NLT, you don't need to turn there, but I'll quote it to you. And this is Roman, it's a, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, in the NLT says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so when he talks about being strong and immovable, he's talking about work that you do for God. Be immovable in your work for him. So we are to be mobile with the gospel, but we are to be immovable in the work that he gives us once we get there, wherever he's sending us. And then when he tells us to move again, we move again. You know, and that could be just day-to-day talking to people. That could be maybe him moving you to a different city, maybe different wherever. But once you're there and you know this is where God's told me to be for now, you're to be immovable in the work. That he has for you to be there. Not to stop working for him. And so. One comes after the other. Just like the temple came after the tabernacle. Do you see a pattern? Now why am I telling you about the tabernacle and the temple. When it comes to your life. Well remember last time I spoke to you about this. I showed you where Jesus made a whip of cords. Drove out the money changers. And at the temple he drove the people selling animals for sacrifice. And then when the leaders got upset and came to Jesus and said, what gives you the right to do this? I'm paraphrasing, of course. What gives you the right to do this? He said, show, what, what, what sign do you show us that you have this authority to do this? And remember, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it up. And the word tells us he wasn't talking about the building that he was standing in, the temple, the temple building. He wasn't, he wasn't talking about that. He said he was talking about his body. His physical body. And I took you to the scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 that said, Do you not know that your body is the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. So the moment that a person has said out loud, Jesus is their Lord, and they believe that God has raised him from the dead, not only are they now born of God's Spirit, they also become the temple of God's Spirit here on the earth. And it's a mobile temple. Because everywhere you go, you still are the temple. So like the tabernacle, you ought to be mobile in being witnesses for what Jesus has done for you. And then like the temple, you ought to be immovable in the work that God has given you to do. Amen. Now Jesus said, I, well, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. I must, work the, I must do the work he sent me to do. So you've got work God has called you to do. The word said the gift and call of God are without repentance. doesn't mean that you're going to be preaching from a pulpit. But whatever work God has for you to do, you can be immovable in that. But then we also talked about the first two furnishings that were in the tabernacle, in the outer court. Uh, Michael, do we have that picture of the tabernacle that we can bring up? Okay. Now, in the Old Covenant, a person who came to the tabernacle to meet with God, they could not come without a sacrifice. And so then they, they had to help them. Let me make sure that I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Okay, so they had to help them, the priest. It was their duty to, to be here. So when you brought your sacrifice into the tabernacle and later the temple, you offered your sacrifice at the brazen altar, and the priest then helped them with that because they couldn't do the sacrifice on their own. The priest aided them in that. So then they'd offer the sacrifice. Well, then you have the bronze laver. Now, the people themselves couldn't, couldn't go past this point. If you, were just, if you weren't a priest, you could not go into the next, the next part of the tabernacle. You had to stay in the outer court. And the priest could not go into the, into the holy place, like I told you, until they stopped at the bronze laver and they washed at the laver, washed their feet at the laver before they went in. And I mentioned the fact that both of those furnishings in the outer court do something for the body of mankind. The brazen altar made the people physically able to enter the tabernacle. They were not physically able if they, because if they'd be what they call ceremonially unclean. They could not enter unless they offered a sacrifice. They could not physically enter. And then the bronze labor made the priests ceremonially clean, bodily speaking, to be able to, they could, they could then go into the holy place and stand and minister as priests. Usually the NLT render talks about that when talking about the priests. It said they would stand, they could stand and minister as priests. And I like the way that it words that. It's, that's a good, a good rendering. And to, to minister just means to serve. To serve as priests. And the outer court of the tabernacle then can represent the body of mankind. We talked about that. And so why, why, why am I investing all this time in telling you this? Look here in, in 1 Peter. Look at chapter 2, 1 Peter, down at verse 9. It says, but you, this is the church, he's talking to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <laughs> so if you belong to Jesus in God's eyes, like it or not, you're a priest. <laughs> and did you, did you hear that just now and think, how can I be qualified to be a priest? 
I used to think that. I'd read that and say, how, how can I be a priest? How can I be worthy of something like that? Turn back to John chapter 13, Gospel of John. Y'all okay today? Doing good? John chapter 13, verse 1. Said, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, keep in mind, the supper is, at this point, the supper's already ended. The supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, see, this is why Jesus is qualified to call you to anything he wants to call you to. The Father has put everything into his hands. He has authority. And he can say, you're going to be a, you know, whatever. Right? The Father having put all thing, given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. We're in that time of knowing after this. We, we know now. We understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> you got to admire his fervor. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So here Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, take just a moment. Think about verse 2. Like I said, it says, supper being ended. Supper's already ended before he washes the disciples' feet. Did it, right? It, was, it, was it before or after? Did he, did he wash the disciples' feet before supper or after? After. It's important that we, we remember this is the last supper. So you remember in the other gospel accounts when Jesus took the cup, he said, this is, this is my blood in the new covenant. And, you know, represent that cup represented his shed blood on the cross. It just stands as a representative thing. It's a foreshadow. Not very long, only a few days before. But. And the Bible tells us that uh, that sacrifice for our sins was once and for all, right? Once and for all. No, more, no other sacrifice for sin. So Jesus fulfilled that brazen altar that we saw up there. He fulfilled that with his shed blood on the cross. So now every time you come to God, you don't need to bring a sacrifice for sin. You can bring a sacrifice of praise. You can bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving. But it's not a sacrifice that will cleanse you from sin because Jesus has already done that. Okay, so he fulfilled it. Fulfilled it. Amen. No other, no other sacrifice is required to get into God's presence. I mean, you can come into God's presence without thanksgiving, but you... But you should come into his presence with thanksgiving. You should. But you don't have to. But you should. So, I also want you to notice where Jesus washed their feet. 
And we, like I said, it's important to say, this is done after. After Jesus took the cup, because God does things in order. Okay, verse 5 again. After that, he poured water into a basin. After the, that's after the supper. Poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Could we bring that picture of the tabernacle back up? So at this point, Jesus has taken care of the, of the sacrifice for sin. Yeah? At the, at the, at the altar. At the, at the brazen altar. And so then, remember too that the priests, the priests couldn't go in to minister until they stopped at the bronze labor to wash. And they didn't wash all. They, did, they, didn't wa- they didn't take an entire. Notice what Jesus said to Peter. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Jesus takes care of the bronze labor too. And, so, and, he, and he, he just washed Peter's feet. He said, you're already clean. Now wash your feet. Why? So that Peter could do the work. So that we can, we can work as priests for him. He washed the, all the disciples' feet. Even Judas's feet. A person can deny the call that God has put on their life. But Jesus has qualified you then to, to go deeper in your walk with him, to go deeper, to go further, further into the holy place and, and, and further in the work that you do for him, really more than you can imagine. Imagine if God told you everything that he wanted you to do right now, you'd probably go, oh, too much overload he knows that he's patient with you he's patient with me turn just a couple of chapters forward to John 15 look at verse 1 Jesus said I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit you are already clean we're talking about the water, the, the washing of, you know, the, the, the bronze labor. You are already clean. Why? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean because of the word I have already spoken to you. In Scripture, the word of God is likened to water. God's word has a, a cleansing effect on you. Have you ever read the, have you ever read the word? And you just, it's like, and, and you maybe didn't read a whole, whole lot of it, but if you, if you really took it to heart, you let it affect you, and you're like, I feel lighter. It has a cleansing effect. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Don't, don't turn here, but in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about it like this. He, said, he, he puts it like this. Ephesians 5, 25 to 26 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. 
and gave himself for her, that he might cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. By the word. So you understand now that Jesus died for you, which gives you access into his family. And then he, and he spoke his word to you, which makes you clean and able to stand now and minister to him as a priest. You say, what, what work does he have for me to do as a priest? Remember, the priest, the, the priest had a responsibility to maintain things in the tabernacle, and I'll get into that a little bit more later. And, they had, and it, was temple, it was a part of the temple worship. It was all wrapped up into worship. And I had mentioned last week, you know, singing, worshiping God, because, it, because God said, you know, you're not just going to worship God however you want. David's the one, King David's the one who, who, who set the singers up to sing, and it was singing, it was 24-hour singing and worship going up before God, and that was acceptable to God. But the sacrifice and the, and the preparing of the incense and the putting out of the showbread and all of these things were all worship. They're all wrapped up into worship, okay? And so, but then, then there's the other side of the priests were to help the people get close to God. They were to help the people get close to God. And so, you know, we had talked about how because you're that mobile tabernacle and you go, and you, or you, I mean, the mobile temple and you're talking to people about Jesus and it helps them to get close to them, whether they know Jesus or not. You can, wit- you can be a witness for Jesus to somebody who already knows him because that strengthens their faith. But then when you're talking to an unbeliever, or a believer, really, however God's going to have you minister in that moment, it could be through gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost, and you can you want more, if you want teaching on that, I'm not going to teach on that today, but if you want teaching on it, I got a whole series on it, eight-part series that you can get. Um, and, and all these gifts, they all, they all, they all work differently. Um, but I, I, I never forget, I, you know, we were at, at uh, church one day, and this was back in California, and I was, uh, uh, I, I went and stood, uh, it, there, there was a, a guy in the church that's a r- really good guy. I, went to, I had gone to high school with him. And uh, uh, we were never, like, really close. We were just, like, good acquaintances, you know. And then uh, what happened was is one of the families in the church, well, he married one of the, the sisters, one of the, gr- the, the girls in that family. And so then all of a sudden he's at church with me, you know. And uh, I'm like, wow. You know, you're here in a spirit-filled church. I don't even know what your background is, you know. And uh, so worship was done. I, 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 was, I was down. And, I, and, I, and for some reason that day I, I, I took a seat behind him. And everybody was, uh, you know, we're, we hadn't, the, the, the message hadn't started yet, and, and uh, they, they didn't call for prayer. What they did is kind of like a time here where we just took a moment just to stand before God and, and pray, you know. And uh, he's, he was in front of me, and I was, and I was praying. And I kept, something, you know, I kept opening my eyes and looking at, looking at the back of his head. And I'm like, and I start sweating because I'm like, oh, God, you're going to have me say something to him. I just know you're going to have me say something to him. But, you know, the, that ministry of the priest, it, it helps people get close to God. Now, whether they receive that ministry or not is up to them. You understand? And he, it, it, but anyway, so I was, I kept, and as I was praying, and I'm like not, I'm like trying to not focus on him because I'm like, I don't, you know, I already did, I already, I already sang, I already led the people in worship. I don't want to, don't, don't want to do any more, Lord, you know, but can't argue with God very well. 
Because every time I would pray, I kept seeing him in like this. It was like a, it was like an open expanse, you know, and, and the, but it was like a, like a sunset kind of a sky. And there were like carrion birds and stuff. And so I knew, I'm like, this is not, he's not going through an easy time. You know, I just knew that in my heart. Sometimes, you know, you know what God's, what you, sometimes, you don't always, under, you know, but sometimes you know. And, uh, and it was like as I was praying for him, because I finally said, okay, fine, I'll pray for him, and I'm praying for him. And uh, it kind of, the image kind of zoomed out, and, and, and I could see he's, he's ankle deep in, I'm like, he's ankle deep in something. It was concrete. And I'm like, see, sometimes you're like, Am I, am I hearing from God because this is, this is weird? But then God, God, God let me know, okay, the concrete represents the word. He's to be rooted in the word, grounded in the word. And so I stepped around the, the chairs, and I said, uh, I said, Chris, can I tell you something? And he's like, okay. And so I, I, mean, I told him, I, I related it to him, and I said, and that concrete, because it wasn't, it wasn't set yet. I said, you got it. I said, God wants you to, to, to be set in the word. And that's how he's going to walk you through this. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, there, you know, I said, okay, well, just pray about it. You know, and if, if that, you know, if, you, if it doesn't bear witness with you, then just throw it out. But, but you see how God, I mean, in that, and, and uh, you know, that's a, that's a way to minister to someone to help them get closer to God. And I'm like, I'm standing there and I'm not even wanting to do that. But the gifts and call of God are without repentance. And he's like, if you're going to serve me as a priest, I'm going to need you to help people get closer to, to me. Amen. So we should all be rooted and grounded in God's word. Spend time in it daily. Amen. Let that, let that set around your feet. Be immovable in the word. Now, when you realize that God is nudging you to talk to someone on his behalf, did you, did you ever wrestle with that like I did? I do not want to do that. Now, and, and for many, it could be many reasons, but, but I, want, I, want to, I kind of want to zero in on one possible reason right now, because I think this will be helpful to us. You ever find yourself asking, well, what if I tell them something and it doesn't come to pass? What if I pray for them and nothing happens? What if I, uh, you know, what if I, 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 I'm bold and then it just totally fizzles and doesn't, doesn't work out for them? Well, you got to remember that when you minister, they have to receive that ministry, and they got to have the faith to receive whatever it is. But so, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. There were people that Jesus ministered to that did not receive. He just moved on. He didn't worry about it. So we we can't either. Because you can't make you can't make anybody receive anything. But you understand, though, that Jesus died for that person. That means that when you're standing and ministering like a priest for God, helping people to get close to him, and like the temple, you're, you're immovable in your work. I'm going to do the work. Whether or not that person is willing to listen or to receive anything when you talk to him, keep this in mind, that God has something for them that he wants to get over to them. Always, always, always. 
He's not going to leave you hanging out to dry. You know, he always has something for him. You got to listen to the Holy Ghost and see what he's telling you. You know, maybe you're not supposed to pray for their need. But be open. Listen to what the Holy Ghost is telling you. Think about this. This is a completely hypothetical situation. This never happened. I'm making it up as I go. But, you know, I see someone in the parking lot someplace. They're limping. God says, go talk to him. He didn't say anything else. Okay? How you doing, sir? You okay today? Whatever. Start talking to him. God might not, and you might be zeroing in on this knee, because I've done stuff like this before. But see, God is, you know, he, God, God might say, talk to him about his daughter. So, but see, if he can receive, I mean, maybe you'll pray because, because you, you know, some, I mean, prayer in itself is a ministry. You minister to someone by praying for, for them. And then, the, some, I mean, I've had people like, wow, I received that. I mean, they, they, they didn't even see it yet, but they believe. You could tell they believe. Oh, okay. Well, then right in that moment, then you might be able to say, now God's telling me to, to, to see to this knee. See, because now they're in a better place that they can receive that ministry. There's, now there's some trust established, you see. Okay. And so, you know, you've got to rely on the Holy Ghost to get a, what are we doing here today? And that's really a good way to ask, what are we doing here, Lord? Why are we here? <laughs> Why did you bring me over here? Because Jesus said, I only do the works that I see the Father doing. And one of the times he told them, he said, I only, I only do the works the Father shows me to do. Amen? So don't, so don't panic. Because, I mean, he, he, may, he may not even have you, I mean, really, he might just have you greet the person. Just talk to them a little bit. You know, I mean, he might not, he, he, I mean, who knows what he'll have you do. So I guess the best way to put that is let's not make assumptions in the work that he has for us to do. Because if you think about it, the priest standing at the brazen altar, remember we saw last week, there's all these different types of sacrifices that people could bring. And there's different, uh, there were different animals assigned to them, but some of them had the same animals. So the priest standing at the brazen altar doesn't know what kind of offering the person is bringing until that person comes in and says, this is the type of offering I am bringing. Or this is the type of sacrifice I am bringing. Then the priest understands, ah, okay, now I know what to do. Because they had different, they had all these different ways of sacrifices. And I never really thought about it like that before. That's not in my notes. But there you go. So we've got to learn to work with God in this area. Amen. Okay, so we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. And so we passed by the brazen altar into the outer court. Now you're in the outer court. And now we've been washed by the water of the word, which Jesus spoke to us. And so now we're entering into the holy place. In the holy place, there were three furnishings. You have the golden lampstand, the bread of the presence, and the incense altar. The golden lampstand was always to remain lit. And uh, I noticed that I'm at the 12 o'clock hour. If you have to go, you can, but I'm going to keep teaching. I'm just going to keep right on, okay? Because this is, I want to get this over to you. So the golden, the golden lampstand was always to remain lit. 
was the priest's responsibility to make sure that it was constantly supplied with oil. Now, oil is oftentimes used to symbolize the Holy Spirit. Now, flip back from here a couple, several chapters to, to John 8, if you would. John 8. And look at verse 1. Get myself hydrated there. Okay. Verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what say you? Or what do you say? Now you've got to remember, uh, it takes two to tango. So where is the man? So already this is not, this is a sideways deal. This is not... And Jesus, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus is smart. <laughs> Jesus knows better than this. Then uh, verse 6, This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And I imagine it took a little bit for this to sink in. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So here is a... Uh, there's a quality of light in Jesus' ministry. Light exposes. The woman's life is, she, her life is in jeopardy. We, we know the ending. We've, we've heard it. We've read it. So, but you got to put yourself in her shoes for a minute. She's standing there like, I might, I might die right here. Okay? So her life's in jeopardy. Jesus took the time to wait for, for how the Father wanted him to respond I don't see any other reason why Jesus would stoop down and write. I've, I've heard lots of conjectures over the years, but I, I mean, and, and I guess you could say that's my opinion, so you could take it for what it's worth. But I, I believe he was waiting to hear from the Father, to see what the Father might say. And so, you know, what happened is, is that time of silence, after he said this, because he, 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 after he said it, he, he stooped back down again and started writing again, right? Started drawing whatever he's doing. And so uh, that made them, the accusers, stop to consider how they had failed God personally in their own lives. And that conviction did not let them do it. And, you know, I've seen people say, oh, okay, well, you know, conjecture as to why the oldest was to the last. I think that usually the oldest probably stood in the most authority. And so the younger ones are waiting to see what they do. But that's just also conjecture. I don't, you know. But verse 10 when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Now notice she called him Lord. That's important. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. 
Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus called himself the light of the world. So he fulfills the golden lampstand, too. So keep your finger here and flip over to Matthew 5. Here's where, here's where Jesus gets over to his call. Gifts and call of God. Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus is the light of the world. But notice that he also bestowed on you that same title. That's a title. I'm the light of the world. That's a title. But he's given you that title too. He conferred it upon you. Why? Because the Father set all things into his hands. He has all authority. And so he can call whoever he wants to whatever he wants. So he said, you are the light of the world. Now remember, Jesus, the priests, okay, the priests were responsible for keeping the golden lampstand lit. They were responsible to keep it lit by supplying it with the oil. Part of your service to God as a priest is keeping yourself shining. How do you do that? Well, verse 14 again. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How you shine, and this is not, this is not like a really black and white thing, but I see here that there is a, there is a uh, connection how you shine is tied to the work that God has called you to do. Not the only way you shine, but it's, but it's, it's definitely connect. There's a connection here. Okay? Because that work, this is why. Because that work has an effect on how worldly people think of God. It, 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 he said right here. Let your, let your light so shine before men that they, they may see your good works, and then turn around and glorify your Father. So your works have an effect on how they see Him. It's why we are to be immovable in the work <laughs> that God has called us to do, not to give up on the work. Amen. Can we bring up that pic again, that picture of the tabernacle one more time? Well, who knows, I may bring it up again. Do you notice that the saving, the saving of your self, you, the saving of you takes place before the work? There's an order. Did you see that? We call that grace before works. That's what we call that. Grace before works. Because you're, you're saved by grace through faith. You're not saved by works. Because if you try to do that work in your own strength before you're saved, I've seen people try to do it. If you try to, and after they get saved, too, they sometimes they try to do the work in their own strength. And what happens? They get burned out. And then also, whatever you build in your own strength, you've got to maintain in your own strength. 
God, this, this, this food program is falling apart. God might say, I never called you to start a food program. You want to maintain it. You've got to maintain it on your own. God's under no obligation to help you with something that he did not tell you to do. Amen? Okay, now, it's in God's strength only that you can do the work. It's in his call. It exists within his call, within the ministry that he has placed in your life, and within that office that he has called you as a priest. It exists, the work exists within the office. Nobody else could go into the holy place except for the priests. Why? Because they, they, they did not stand in that anointing, so they were not called to do that work. They had other work to do. Don't get jealous of somebody else's work. Don't, don't desire somebody else's gifts. Desire, the, the, the word said desire the best gifts, but I mean the way that prophecy flows through one person might not flow through another person that same way. And so you don't look at it and say, well, I want, I want to prophesy the way that Jerry does. No. Desire to prophesy the way that God wants you to prophesy. And I can say that because Paul said desire the best gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. You're supposed to desire that gift. That doesn't make you a prophet, by the way. I've got some money in my wallet, but that doesn't make me a millionaire. <laughs> okay. Go back to your bookmark over there in John. And I just left that as a placeholder because I want you to turn from John 8 back over to John 6. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a shortcut there. Shave a few seconds off our time. Amen. John chapter 6, look down at verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, no, hold on. Did I get this right? I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm right here. Hold on. Oh, 24, excuse me. 24, verse 24. Thank you. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats, came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. That's the tail end of another story, but we're not gonna, we don't have time to get into that. But they're seeking Jesus. They show up, they find him. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. This is after he fed the five, the, the, with the loaves and the fish, right? Okay. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Because we're talking about works, right? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. I've said this to you before. The only work unto salvation is believing on Jesus. Every other work you do is only after you were saved. And the brazen altar came before the golden lampstand, right? But then the next furnishing in the holy place is the bread of the presence. It was the priest's responsibility to keep fresh bread in God's presence. They, they were to regularly switch it out. And they could eat the bread that had been switched out. That was part of their ministry. That was part of the reward of their ministry had to eat it in a holy place. I think that's interesting. 
Verse 29, again. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they, they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're still after the bread. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus is the bread of heaven, the bread of life. Jesus fulfills the bread of the presence. He fulfills it. Just like he fulfilled the lampstand, just like he fulfilled the, braze, the, the bronze laver, just like he fulfilled the bronze or the brazen altar. Just like water, God's word is also likened to bread. The word said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible is how you live. The word said, man shall not live by bread alone. Not just prosper, not just um, get a career, not just um, find a spouse, not, no, live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. So this is, this is how you live. Sure, you accepted Jesus, you passed by the brazen altar, and then you were made alive. You were made alive, but the bread... The word is how you live. So stay alive. And not the same way the Bee Gees do it. <laughs> as soon as I could heard the song in my head, you know. No, you live by the word. Now, I want you to notice something about the lampstand and the bread of the presence, about those two things. The bread has to do with Knowledge of God's word. Feeding on it, eating it. Okay, The lampstand has to do with the understanding of God's word. They're two different things. Understanding. Because the light, the shining that you do, is connected to the works that men see you do before they glorify the Father. But how can you know the work that God wants you to do unless you know his will? And how can you know his will unless you know his word? Know it. Know it. This may seem deep, but it's not complicated. Bring up the tabernacle one more time. Okay? All right, because 
not, it's not complicated because Jesus died for your sins and you accept him as Lord. That's, so then you get past the brazen altar. Then he calls you to be a priest. You, he washes you with the water of the word, makes you a royal, a royal priesthood. And then, and then you go ahead and you, and you pass into the holy place. And there, and there, there's the bread of the presence, and that's, that's the word. That's Jesus himself, the lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world. So, so, so you get saved, okay? And then you answer the call to minister as a priest at the labor. You're washed by the word he spoke to you. Because he speaks to you and calls you, and he spoke to you. So you're washed by that word. So then you accept the call, and you go in, and you, and you, and you get some knowledge, and you and you live by, and you live by the word, and then you, and then you let your light so shine, so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, heaven. You see, this is how much God loves you. That he put so much thought into this. And yes, it's deep, but it's also simple. It's simple. And you say, can something be deep and simple at the same time? I, asked, I had to ask myself that question. Actually, it can. Just recently, another believer told me he had gone through a, night in the, a dark night of the soul. The way he put it, I went through a dark night of the soul. Well, that's deep. But it simply means that he went through a difficult time spiritually. That's all it means. And yeah, it's big, but it's simple. That's a simple problem. Remember I pointed out that the brazen altar and the bronze labor in the outer court dealt primarily with the body of mankind. These furnishings in the holy place that you can't see on the thing, but they're there. The furnishings in the holy place deal primarily with the soul of mankind. Our mind, will, and emotions. Because we choose to let knowledge of God's word change us from the inside out. And we choose to let understanding of God's word help us to do those good works. And let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Your soul, the place within you that is your place of decision. You decide things with your soul. Within your soul is where you decide what you will do and you will not do. So I'm not going to teach too deeply on the soul today. We'll get into that next week, maybe. But we will turn to one place on this, though, about the soul. Turn with me to the book of James. And I'm, I'm starting to wrap us, you know, wrap us up here. So take a deep breath. Let that oxygen get into your brain. It's important. She's laughing at me. Sorry. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So he says, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. You can do all those things by a decision of your will, right? You can decide in your will, 
I will be quick to hear. I will be slow to speak. I will be slow to wrath. You can do those, right? And then he said, lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. You could do that by a decision of your will as well. Yeah? <laughs> Notice, bring that tabernacle up one more time. Having fun with this today. What Jesus did on the cross was provided for you. It was a work that was done for you. Right? The washing of the water of the word was a work that was done for you. Jesus spoke to you. Now, you do receive those works, but it, those works were done for you. you. Think about that. When you go into the holy place, the knowledge of God's word is acquired by something you do. God, God, does not, God does not read this for you. He speaks it to you, but he does not. And, and, the, and the understanding to ask God, Lord, I need understanding, to, to, to say, Lord, give me a, a, a wisdom of, uh, a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that I may know what is your will. That is something you do. Do you see? He says, lay, lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. You do that by a decision of your will. Right? And, and then he says, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Can you receive this word by a decision of your will? Remember, we said to you that you are the temple of God. And after you get past the outer court, which symbolizes the body of mankind, and then you get into the holy place, which symbolizes the soul of mankind then, see? And the lampstand and the bread of the presence, they primarily do something for the soul, the mind, the will and emotions of mankind. And they both have to do with the word, which is able to save your soul. That word saved, sozo, saved, healed, delivered. Save it. Which is the part of you where you decide things a couple years back I was in the habit of meeting with some local pastors to pray for the community and intercede for the nation if time allows I'd like to do that again but for a few consecutive weeks and I've mentioned this story before but I'll tell you again just because it's so good if you're willing to bear with me so for a few consecutive weeks God had me praying in a very specific way and I didn't understand it at first the first week God showed me to go over into the front of the church and lay my hand on the pulpit. It was a different church, you know, but I would lay my hand on the pulpit as I prayed, praying in the Spirit. My flesh didn't like that because, again, and that, this, that's part of the priestly work, right? Praying, making intercession for people. And so uh, I figured I didn't like that because I figured the other pastors would think, well, that looks weird. Why is he over there laying hands on the altar? What's he doing? Weird. Well, they didn't, I didn't like it. I did it anyway. It's, it's hard work. You know, prayer is hard work sometimes. And you get tired. And you feel like you're, feel like you just spent eight hours doing work with your hands, you know, after you get done. It's like, man, I'm so tired. All I did was pray. Prayer is work. But God had me praying for, for as, he, as, I was, as I laid my hand on the altar, not the altar, the, the pulpit, because you have the altar and you got the pulpit. 
I'm praying over the pulpit. God, I, I understood I, as I was doing it. I he got me praying for the pastors across the nation, not just the pastor in that, that occupied that pulpit. Praying about the messages they would be preaching. You could pray that way too, you know, for your ministers, and you should. Paul said, pray for us that we may boldly speak the word. That's how you pray for ministers. Lord, give them boldness. Give them the words to say. Amen? So I'm praying. And the next week, God had me at the back of the sanctuary praying by the door. Now, that was more comfortable because it's like kind of shadowy back there. I'm like, all right, I'm kind of hiding back here praying over the door where the pastors don't see me. So I was happy. I was like, okay, thanks, God. I'm back here praying at the door. And I knew as I was praying there that for the people, that I was praying for the people that God is drawing and is going to draw through the church doors, specifically. That's not the only place people can find Jesus, but specifically dealing with the, the, the church and the meetings that go with, on within the church. Okay, so I'm praying, I'm praying there. I'm, I'm praying that way. Okay, Lord, I know I'm praying. Draw them in, Father. Draw them in. Show us how to, and then show us how to launch into the deep waters and look, look for them ourselves. Pray, you know, uh, help us, Lord. And then the third week, and the week after that, Possibly the week after that, I don't really remember. But then he had me down in the middle of the sanctuary. And I prayed over. And while I'm praying there, I didn't know. He didn't tell me why. The first two times I knew why. Praying for the, praying for the pulpit, praying about the messages, praying for the people that God's going to bring in. And then I'm down and I'm praying. And I'm like, okay, well, he must be having me pray for the people in the church. But I, don't, I didn't know. I, I, you know, just praying. Praying in the spirit. Got, got, got one hand stretched out toward the altar. Got the other hand stretched out to the door. Didn't like that, but that's what he told me to do. The other pastors are praying, and I'm standing there. But got to do what God said. So I'm praying that way. And uh, praying in the spirit. Didn't, didn't, know, didn't, know what else to, didn't know what else to pray. Praying in the spirit. But in between times of praying in the spirit, just about the only phrase with the understanding that kept coming up was, Here, Lord. Between the altar and the door. Between the altar and the door, Father. God had me praying that out for a long time. You know, there, Jesus said, don't, 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 pray, don't pray in vain repetitions, but there's such a thing as a repetition that's not vain. I'm not going to teach on that right now, but anyway, after, after I was done praying, because eventually you feel a release. Okay, done. Whatever it was done, at least for now. And I ask, Lord, why'd you, why'd you have me stand here in the middle of the room and pray that way? I, I, I said, I, I told him, I said, I understand the pulpit. I, I understand the, the door. You told me that, but I, I said, I, 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 why? And I never forget his reply. He said, because here, between the altar and the door is where decisions are made. And I got it. Because you know as well as I do that when the word is preached anywhere, but in this case from the pulpit, the people who hear the word then make decisions about their life in response to the word they heard. Is that not right? Have you ever been sitting in a church and the word is being preached or taught and you are moved in your soul and then as a result of hearing that you made a decision to do something for God? Iris is like, I just feel that someone, come, someone needs to come down. And the people who responded decided to do that based on 
what they heard. A decision of the soul. The lampstand, the bread of the presence, the soul is the place where decisions are made. But they are both tied directly to God's word. And so I understand that. I understand that. The reason God had me praying for pastors and the message that they are going to be speaking, the reason is this. God told me, he said, if the message going out of the pulpit is grace-based, then the decisions that are made are going to be grace-based decisions. And then he said, if the message going out of the pulpit is works-based, then the decisions that are made are going to be works-based decisions. But brothers and sisters, I want all your decisions to be based on grace. Because you are not saved by works, but by grace through faith in Jesus' name. The works that you do when you so shine before men they don't save you. They, they could possibly help get that person saved. But they come, the works that you do, they come out of the overflow of the, your gratitude for what Jesus has done for you and your answer to his call. <clears throat> but you can see why this is so important for you to know. That's why I want you to know. I want you to know. Because I want you to have the benefits of Jesus' blood, and I want you to be washed in the water of the word, and I want you to receive the implanted word, and understand that word so that you know his will, so that you can let your light so shine, and be immovable in the works God has called you to. This is your place of rest. Not, not this building. It's, it, can, it can be restful. But I'm talking about that God has made his home in you. His dwelling, his rest, his, his place of rest is your place of rest. He is your place of rest. And this whole thing comes down to a lifestyle of you living and working in the place of rest that God has for you. Amen. Don't let what God has for you pass you by. All right, Father, I pray that blessing over all my brothers and sisters, over all of these. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us all to understand this deeper and deeper and deeper and know the call that you have for us and be able to stand in the works, Lord God. I pray, Lord, for that um, that they would be able to learn, that you help them to learn to walk in the anointing that you have placed upon their lives. They all are anointed to do your work, Father. And so, Lord, I speak a blessing over them as they go. I pray, Father God, that you help them to shake off old ways of thinking that don't, uh, that don't glorify you. Help me shake off old ways of thinking that don't glorify you. Help us all to grow and to uh, get rooted deeper in you in your word, and I thank you, Father. We love you, and in Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Okay, everybody, we're done.